Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. And now at No Huddle NFL underscore on Twitter. Very new. I have not grown very much on there. I recently started the account deciding that, you know, it would be a good alternative way to grow this podcast. Meanwhile, on TikTok, I'm still posting, posting more than I was like, I want to say a month ago, I wasn't really posting much, but now I'm back to getting on a decent schedule. Instagram, not so much. I need to get back to that a little bit more. But so far, I have three social media platforms where I have been posting about free agency, about really every NFL topic. And speaking of free agency, oh boy, this episode's going to be a good one. I'm going to go in depth, or at least in a decent amount of depth, as much depth as I could go into in an hour-long, hour-30-minute-long podcast about a lot of these signings, you know. I'm going to quickly go through most of them because, like, there's a lot, man. If I went in detail, very, very in detail for each of these, I'd be here all night. This would be a 10-hour episode, man. So I'm going to get, you know, the gist of things out of the way. And I also want to talk about two particular quarterback situations that are coming out that are going on right now. Uh, Of course... The Deshaun Watson one, which is starting to heat up again. And then a certain someone coming out of retirement, which a lot of people expected. I am one of the few to admit I did not see it coming, but I'll get to that when I get to that. For now, I want to talk about these huge free agent signings. Some some are huge. Other ones are not so big. And other ones have fell under the radar, and I want to talk about most of them. Not, you know, the smaller ones like Hassan Raddick to the Eagles. Like, I I almost put that in here, but there wasn't really much I had to say about that one, really. And, you know, the ones where I didn't have much to say about them, I'm not going to talk about those ones, right? So if anyone was extremely excited for me to talk about, I don't know, OJ Howard to the Bills, sorry to break it to you. I'm not going to be talking about that in this one. <laughs> but overall, I'm going to talk about, you know, the the important ones, the ones where there's a lot of layers to it, the ones that are somewhat complex, the one where I feel like I could actually say stuff with at least a little bit of substance behind it. So let's start by talking about the first thing that happened. Emmanuel Ugba getting a $65 million deal over four years from the Dolphins re-signing. And I I don't think it was a bad signing. A lot of people, not a lot of people, but I've seen people say it was one of the worst signings of the first day. And I don't agree with that, in all fairness. I think Ugba is a good player. You know, he had 41 pressures or 41 hurries and nine sacks, which... I know he hasn't had a single season where he finished with double-digit sacks. I get that. But he's a good player. He consistently gets pressure on the quarterback, although a lot of the times it doesn't end in him bringing the quarterback down. 
But he's a really good scheme fit for a scheme that might be changing. If the scheme is changing, the Dolphins will probably regret this move. But if it stays similar in the sense that they're going to be blitz-heavy again like they were with Flores and they do a lot of stunts, Ugba's going to be good, right? This is not going to be a signing if they regret. Even though I think it's a little bit of an overpay, if the scheme remains the same, Ugba's production will be the same, if not better. And another Dolphin signing I want to talk about. This one was not a re-signing. This one was a free agent signing. Chase Edmonds got a two-year, $12.6 million deal. Listen, I, I don't really get that excited over running back signings. I never really do. And Chase Edmonds, I wouldn't say it's an exception at all. But the Dolphins needed to sign someone, okay? You got to have someone carry the ball. And I like that they didn't pay someone, you know, $10 million per year. Because, as most people know, running back is a position that has very little value in this league. Unless you're one of the best of the best. Unless you're a Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey. Unless you're someone like that, then I understand, like, paying you. Even though I may not agree with it, I understand the mentality. But... The difference between a good running back and a mediocre or even bad one is not very different. It really isn't. And Chase Edmonds, I would say he's one of the mediocre ones. I would say most running backs in this league are mediocre. Paying Chase Edmonds $6 million per year, that's just fine. That is just fine. Especially you account for the receiving ability. He's been getting better each year. Listen, they didn't overpay him, and he's young, right? They need someone to carry the ball behind this offensive line. They got someone. And they also signed someone else, Raheem Mostert, quick or sometime before I started this podcast. I believe it was maybe 30 minutes. Just, it, it was a quick little, you know, signing. It was very little money, but the point is now they have two guys that they could give the ball to. Behind a not very good offensive line, that's the thing that they really need to be working on. But, you know, you got someone that can carry the ball. Not, no one absurdly electric, electric, but you got Chase Edmonds, and you also got Raheem Mostert. You're just fine, Miami, at the running back position at least. Now, Super Bowl champion Rams. A lot of us know their offensive tackle, Andrew Whitworth, who was very old, extremely happy to win that Super Bowl, his last game. They need they needed to find someone else to play tackle. So they re-signed a guy who was on their bench for a lot of his career. Jason Noteboom. They signed him to a three-year $40 million deal. The Rams clearly like him. I mean, obviously, if they're going to give him this deal... And, you know, maybe he can replace Whitworth. That's a big hole to fill, though. He's unproven, and he only played 164 snaps last year. They're paying him a lot of money for someone that unproven. I, I, I don't really like it. It's a big risk, but for all we know, it's a bargain deal. If the guy is really that good... Could be a bargain deal. But if he is good enough to give him this money, why wasn't he starting somewhere on that offensive line? 
know, you could have put him at guard, could have put him at right tackle, could have put him at center. Even though, yeah, that's a little bit of adjustments to make. I I don't think it's that big of a deal. If the guy is really that good, he should be able to play every position on the offensive line. If you ask me, I think if someone is getting paid or an offensive lineman is getting paid more than $10 million per year, they should be able to play all five positions on the offensive line. That's how I see it. And Jason Nopeum, he's getting paid more than $10 million per year. So I hold him to that same standard. I don't know why they decide to pay him. Again, he could be all he could be really good for all we know. But if he was that good, I would think he would be able to play everywhere on the line. I would think. No, I might be wrong, but I'm not a fan of this signing. I think it's way too much money. Three year forty million. I, I think that's an overpay. I do. For someone as unproven as he is, I do not understand that. So now Let's talk about another offensive lineman that was signed to a team that played in the Super Bowl. This time, not the Rams, but the Bengals. Alex Kappa got a four-year, $40 million deal. This was a damn good move. Exactly what the Bengals needed. A great player at a much-needed position. They, They struggled all year on the interior offensive line. All year. And... Listen, Alex Kappa at only $10 million per year, that's a bargain. That is amazing value. To get someone of Alex Kappa's caliber at only $10 million per year for four years, like, that is damn good. And it's not like this is a very old guy who's going to fall off a cliff. By the time his contract expires, he'll be 31 which is like the perfect time for the contract to expire because that's when you either see regression or you see that this guy's going to be consistent for the rest of his career until he decides to retire because life as an offensive lineman in the NFL, pretty painful. You see why players retire. And that's why someone like Andrew Whitworth, who played for so many years, is so special. But this Alex Kappa signing, I think it's, Really good, exactly what the Bengals needed. And they paired it with another good signing of an offensive lineman. They signed Ted Karras. Three-year, $18 million. Solid player to pair with Alex Kappa. And he he's a big part of restructuring this entire interior offensive line. Him and Kappa are two crucial moves that the Bengals had to make. Now let's see who they put at that center spot. Right? Because the tackles weren't necessarily the problem, right? You got Jonah Jackson, I believe is his name. He was very good. Not very good, but he was solid. He got the job done, and he's a younger guy. They also had Riley Reef, who was also good player. He was better on the Vikings, but he got the job done as an offensive tackle for the Bengals. If those two could stay healthy, you have a fine tackle duo. And then now with Alex Kappa, you got a... I, I think Alex Kappa is very underrated. I think he's a very good offensive guard. And Ted Karras can get the job done as the other guard. 
the, the offensive line doesn't have to be great. It just has to be good enough. Good enough for Joe Burrow to have time to make that game-winning throw to Jamar Chase. Good enough for Joe Burrow to find T. Higgins deep down the field. That's all. Good enough to block Aaron Donald, which there's not many offensive lines that could do that, but you got to block him better than that. Come on. Good enough to not let Joe Burrow get sacked nine times in a playoff game. They somehow won that game, by the way, against the Titans. That was insanity. Now, the Bears signed a former Bengal, Larry Ugunjobi, to a three-year, $40.5 million deal. Listen, a lot of people don't like this move. A lot of people think, oh, it's a guy who can only really defend the run. Why would you sign him to a deal that's worth so much? Why would you sign him to a $40.5 million deal? I don't understand that. I completely disagree with you. Defending the run, if you ask me, is the number one thing I ask for from an interior defensive line. Number one. If you ask me, I think. The edges are supposed to be more of the pass rushers, right? And then the interior is where you want those run stuffers, right? Now, would it be better if you had a guy like Ugunjobi who could also defend the pass better? Sure, yeah. But here's the thing. There's very few interior defensive linemen that could do that. Very few. Especially when you're defending the run as well as Ugunjobi was last year. And he was. He was doing a damn good job with the Bengals last year. And I, I still just don't think it's much of an overpay. I think $13.5 million per year is just fine. The main problem, if you ask me, with this signing is that Ugunjobi is kind of a one-year wonder. Kind of. His last year with the Bengals, you know, that was by far his best season. He hasn't really... Came close to that throughout his career. But that was also the most recent year. So maybe you can expect that more often if you're the Bears. That's clearly what they think. They signed him to replace Eddie Goldman. And I think he'll get the job done. Now, I want to talk about Quandre Diggs getting a new contract from the Seattle Seahawks. And I like this deal, man. Three-year, $40 million, That is like the perfect exact on the dot amount of money for him. I think that's the perfect deal. He's a good player. And, you know, they got Jamal Adams playing up closer to the line of scrimmage. And Quandre Diggs is the guy staying back, makes making sure that the defense doesn't get torched deep down the field. And Quandre Diggs does a very good job at that. He's coming off an injury, which is a little concerning. But if he could come back and be just fine, this is a deal that Seattle isn't going to regret. Now, would I say that this is a deal that makes me be like, oh, yeah, Seattle, they they really got this player at a budget. They really got him on a team-friendly deal. No. But I am saying this is like the perfect on-the-dot amount of money to pay a safety like Quandre Diggs. He just opposed Jamal Adams perfectly. And that's part of the reason I think Seattle likes him enough to give him this deal and pursue him and make sure he doesn't head into free agency. 
but overall just a solid deal just straight up solid not not overly great it wasn't them getting a player for very cheap it was just a good deal good solid all right now the next deal was a little bit of an overpayment but i understand why it was the jacksonville jaguars signing foyer olakun i always i always have been pronouncing it as Oluyakon, found out that that's not how you pronounce it. It's supposed to be Olakun. And this is a guy I consider very underrated. Very underrated. He led the NFL in tackles last year. But three-year, $45 million, $50 million a year, that's a little bit of an overpayment. A little bit. But that being said, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're not really a desirable location for free agents, are they? So how are they going to get the free agents that they want? By paying more money than the teams that these players actually want to go to. And this is exactly what Jacksonville did. And I think that they didn't go too far off his price, but I think $15 million per year is a little bit much for someone that has only really played this well this year. And I get it, though, right? Because the upside is there. This is a guy who led the entire league in tackles. Like, he has talent, legitimate talent. And he was one of the few bright spots on a very bad Atlanta defense. And, you know, at first when they brought him in, I was like, oh, yeah, the Jaguars are going to have a pretty nice linebacker room, him and Miles Jack. And then they just stupidly release Miles Jack, but I'll get back to that later. Overall, I just think that this Signing makes the defense a little bit better. A little bit. It's what they need. They need someone that won't let plays break out wide. Won't let, you know, these plays that should be five-yard, four-yard gains go all the way to the end zone. And that's what that's what Ola Kuhn, almost said Aluya Khan again, does. Because they don't they don't have a very talented roster, right? That, that's no secret. There's a reason this team is picking number one overall for the second year in a row. But now that they have a guy that will make sure and pick up the slack of the rest of the defense, which isn't very good, they'll be a, they'll be a harder team to beat. And I understand why they were so willing to overpay a player like this. But a player that I don't understand them overpaying is Kristen Kirk. Overpaying him and making him the third highest paid receiver in the NFL? Are you kidding me? Four years, $68 million. That is downright insanity. They needed a player like Kristen Kirk. That's undeniable, right? They needed a player that could consistent, not even consistently, because Kristen Kirk isn't good enough to do it consistently. But... Y- at least they got a player that is capable of getting open with good route running, good speed. You know, a player that could get separation from the defender for Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball to instead of having him mindlessly throw the ball into quadruple coverage because he was forced to play hero ball every play with Jacksonville. That's part of the reason he struggled so much because every time he got the ball, the play that Urban Meyer drew up was, okay, Trevor, do your thing. Sir, we have you surrounded with terrible receivers. In fact, the best one on the team, other than Marvin Jones, 
was probably Jamal Agnew, who was a cornerback the year before. So the offense was very simple. It was just, okay, now that Trevor Lawrence has the ball, just just do your thing, man. I, I didn't design a very good play. I didn't, my players can't really get open anyway. Just Trevor, no, throw your, you were the first overall pick. You're a generational talent. Do, do your thing. He, he wasn't even like watching the games. He, he just told him, all right, go ahead. Because none of his receivers could get open anyway. So he, he really just consistently had to play hero ball. Every time he touched the ball, he had to force something. And sometimes it worked. Like people, people always give him so much shit because sometimes it didn't work out. A lot of the times it didn't. But when it did work out, like it was crazy. And that, that's part of the reason, like, I still believe Trevor Lawrence can be a stud. You just need to surround him with the right talent. And I think Trevor Lawrence, I think Kristen Kirk is the right talent. The problem is, if you're paying Kristen Kirk as the third highest paid receiver on a year-per-year basis, that's when it becomes a problem. Like, yeah, Jacksonville has to overpay players, like I just said. But you got to know when to put your foot down. You got to know when to be like, okay, that's a little bit too much. We're not going to pay you that much. You got to be realistic. Making a receiver that directly correlates with the downfall of his team's offense, the high, one of the highest paid players in his position is just dysfunctional. In the words of Mike Florio, Dysfunctional football teams do dysfunctional things. This is a perfect example. Perfect. But yeah, they needed a player like Christian Kirk. I just think huge overpayment. Huge overpayment. But let's juxtapose a terrible deal. Probably the worst deal this year, no, definitely the worst free agency deal this year. Let's compare that to an amazing deal made by another rebuilding team that had the pick directly after the Jaguars last year, the Jets. They signed Lakin Tomlinson to a three-year, $40 million per $40 million deal. This was a this was amazing for them, right? The Jets need they needed a guard. They needed one very badly. They, you know, Zach Wilson, whenever he got the ball, he, he kind of had to run for his life because the interior of that offensive line was very bad. Lincoln Tomlinson fixes that. They didn't just get, like, a good guard. They got one of the best guards in the NFL. One that's familiar with the Jets' offensive scheme. Michael LaFleur was part of the 49ers coaching staff just two years ago. He's familiar with Lacken Tomlinson and how he likes to run the offense. He Lacken Tomlinson understands the offensive scheme that LaFleur wants to run. And he's one of the best guards in the league on top of that, filling one of their biggest needs that they had over this year. Listen, this was one of the best signings of the offseason. And I don't t- end up talking about C.J. Uzama getting a deal from the Jets. But let me tell you, just quickly, 
that deal was phenomenal, too. The Jets have made so many good moves this year, a lot of them. Now, I want to talk about the Packers, who we did not expect to bring this guy back, but the Packers are definitely ecstatic that they were able to, especially on the deal that he's on right now. It's amazing. Devondre Campbell, who I consider an absolute stud, got a five-year, $50 million deal. This guy had on the second team all-star. When I did that episode of the podcast, he was on my second team. I had him as a second team all-star linebacker, which means I had him as a top four inside linebacker. Or Sorry, maybe a yeah, top eight. I believe, I don't remember if I did two linebackers, three linebackers, or four. But my point is, Devondre Campbell is somewhere around the best linebackers in the league. He is one of the best inside linebackers, off-ball linebackers in the NFL. The fact that they got him back for only $10 million per year, that is incredible. That's a bargain for the Packers. He had an unbelievable breakout season last year. And he was still a solid player before that, so it's not like he's a one-year wonder. And again, only $10 million per year? That is insane for someone of Devondre Campbell's caliber. Now, I know I was talking about the Packers a lot earlier, but I want to talk about one more other player that they signed. Cedric Wilson. Love this signing. He's He was very underappreciated last year, without a doubt. And part of that was because he was overshadowed on an offense that is filled with big names. You got Amari Cooper, you got C.D. Lamb, you got Dak Prescott. You got Ezekiel Elliott. You got Michael Gallup. This Cowboys team was filled with big names. Some of them, I think, don't deserve as much credit as they get. Mari Cooper, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott. But I'll still admit that they were overshadowing this guy, Cedric Wilson, who I consider a beast so getting him in a three-year, $22 million deal for him to... I, I think he's going to break out. I think he's going to have a really good year. And the thing that I think makes this deal so damn good is that $7.6 million per year, that's like the price of his floor. His ceiling is so much higher than that. So much higher than that. So, if worst comes to worst, he's your wide receiver three. And paying your wide receiver three $7.6 million? Like, yeah, that's overpayment for a wide receiver three most of the time. But this is one of the best wide receiver threes in the league, if he even is a wide receiver three. I think I think he's going to play much better than that because his upside, he has a lot of it. He has a lot of it. He could be so much better than he is right now. And that's part of the reason I love this deal. And now let's talk about a big name, right? I just talked about a couple people that not many players are familiar with, right? You got Cedric Wilson, Kristen Kirk, Lacken Tomlinson. Now, should people be aware of all those guys, especially Devondre Campbell and Lacken Tomlinson? Absolutely. But not everyone is. But here's a guy that I believe most people know because he's one of the best players in his position. Of course, I'm talking about J.C. Jackson. 
Again, that five-year, $82.5 million deal from the Chargers, who they're just trying to keep up with the Broncos, who just traded for Russell Wilson. And you'll see the Chargers trying to keep up with the Broncos led to the Raiders trying to keep up with the Chargers, which led to them making a trade that you guys will see later. But the Chargers struggled defensively. And they believe a big part of that was that they didn't really have that number one corner that they wanted. Jason Jackson will absolutely fill the role. The question is, is he a good scheme fit? That's my main question with it, right? Because the the Chargers do not run as much man as the Patriots did last year. Will that change? Maybe. Especially now that they have J.C. Jackson. It very likely may. But I'm not sure how J.C. Jackson fits into this defense yet. He's definitely going to be good. The question is how good. How much will the Chargers play to J.C. Jackson's strength? We'll just have to see. I think it's very likely that they change a lot of the defense's coverage tendencies just for J.C. Jackson, just to optimize his ability to play this game. The the Chargers are clearly trying to build an amazing defense for Herbert while he's still on his rookie deal because they're able to pay all these players big money while Herbert's on his rookie deal. That That's the smartest way to win a Super Bowl. It is. While you have a star quarterback who's able to play well on his rookie year, that's when you got to start paying big money to free agents, and that's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly why they're training for guys like Khalil Mack, because they can afford it while their quarterback is still on his rookie deal. I really like this move, man. I really, really like it. And another cornerback move, or not really a move, it's a quarter, it's a cornerback playing and st- staying in place. Carlton Davis got a three-year, $45 million deal. This is about the right par- price for him, I believe. I, I like this a lot for them. The Buccaneers cannot use their blitz-heavy scheme without the right guys at corner. And Carlton Davis has proved that he's one of the right corners for the Todd Bowles scheme. So they kept him. Instead of trying to test someone else and find out that they don't really work in the scheme Bowles wants to run, he just sticked with old reliable Carlton Davis. I don't think it was an overpayment either. If anything, he might be a little bit underpaid. Carlton Davis is a stud, man. Problem is he gets banged up. But if he could stay healthy, he's a beast. And he doesn't really get that much credit because of just how good the Buccaneers' front seven is. So when people see the Buccaneers' defense, they're like, oh, look at how good that front seven is. And they forget about the people on the back end. People like Carlton Davis that allow those people in the defensive front to shine. Give them time to get to the quarterback. I really like this. I really like that the Buccaneers are able to retain guys like Carlton Davis. Now, let's talk about a quarterback. Mitch Trubisky getting a two-year, $14.25 million deal. I I like this for Pittsburgh. I really do. He's a high upside guy at a cheap price for a team that can afford to waste a year without a high-caliber quarterback. So, you know, if Trubisky doesn't work and they draft someone and he's not very good either and Mason Rudolph isn't good, they just have a high draft pick for next year. 
Now, the likelihood of all three of those guys being bad, like, unlikely, but they're in such a tough division, I find it hard for them to, for me to believe that they make it to the playoffs with either Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, or I don't know, Kenny Pickett taking snaps. I find it hard to believe that, but you know, with Mike Tomlin, it's very possible. And yeah, I I think they are going to draft someone, but if they don't, again, the Steelers will just suck for a year, and you know maybe they won't because Tomlin doesn't really like to lose. He showed that. The Steelers may suck for a year, and they just draft someone early in the next draft. Because the next draft is supposed to be much better at quarterback as opposed to this one, which sucks at quarterback. I think that's part of the reason they went for Trubisky. Because they either don't want to draft someone, or they don't want to draft someone who they have to start right away. If you ask me, if if Pittsburgh can get Malik Willis, do it. Do it. And then start Trubisky for a year. Trubisky, I'm sorry. Malik Willis maybe starts the next year. Maybe you bench him again for another year. Then his third year he'll play. All I know is that Malik Willis has a sky-high ceiling. But right now he's at his floor, and that floor is damn low. Now, another deal for the Jaguars. They just spent a lot of money in free agency. And they brought in a superstar guard. Brandon Sheriff, or at least a superstar when he's healthy. The problem is he can't stay healthy. Three-year, $49.5 million. I think that that's right for him if he was able to stay healthy because when he's healthy, like, he's worth that much money. The problem is he, he can't stay healthy again. Like, he's not capable of it. And he's an older guy, which will, you know, when he's on the field, He'll be a landmark for the offensive line, and he'll allow you to evaluate guys like Trevor Lawrence and, you know, these younger guys. But he's not going to be a landmark for your team. He's not going to be a staple. He's just going to be here, you know, just wasting years of his career, really, just so you could evaluate guys that probably suck because the Jaguars are just so bad. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to think of this. I'm surprised Sheriff was, I really wonder, was that the most he was able to get paid? Probably. The Jaguars were probably the only people stupid enough to not check his medical history and realize that he can't stay healthy. Now, the Chargers made another big deal. They got Sebastian Joseph Day for the Chargers offense, sorry, Chargers defensive scheme to work. They got to get that superstar defensive tackle. They got to. You look at why it works so well with the Rams. They just kept running two high safeties because they could afford to win. They could find ways to still be successful run, defending the run with a six-man box. They didn't need to have a seven-man box. They just ran, you know, oh, Aaron Donald two-gap, and we can trust you to two-gap every play. And they didn't really have that many guys up front because they didn't need to. Which, you know, if you got the right defensive lineman, that could work. And it will allow you to defend the pass really well. The problem is, if you don't got the right guys up front, teams will just run all over you. Look at the Chargers last year. They brought in Sebastian Joseph Day this year. 
That is a very quick fix for this, you would think. Unless Sebastian Joseph Day, you know, isn't as good as he may be, which is very possible. Because it's easy to be successful when you have Aaron Donald on your team, man. And, you know, this is a guy, he's familiar with Brandon Staley's defense, so that's a plus. But, again, it's hard to tell if it was only, if he was only that good because of Aaron Donald. You know, at least he's a younger guy. He's talented, obviously, but I I don't know. We'll have to see. It wouldn't surprise me if they still draft Jordan Davis. Wouldn't at all. Because I think that he's a extremely quick fix that allows Brandon Staley to run the scheme that he wants to. Khalil Mack's going to be able to defend the run. Sebastian Joseph Day, he'll be a fine role player. But I'm not sure if he could be the okay, we're going to run a 3-3-5, and the nose tackle is going to be you, Sebastian. I don't think if he could consistently do that. I know Jordan Davis can, but when you have Aaron Donald on the other side of the defensive line, you look much better than you actually are. The Panthers signed Austin Corbett on a $29.25 million deal. The Panthers are desperate for guard help, but luckily for them, Corbett can be that guy for the Panthers, but it's difficult to tell if he could live up to that. But it's only a $9.75 million per year deal, so the risk is pretty minimal. Uh, I'm sorry that that was short, but that's really my opinion on it. I think Corbett could help, could be like the staple, or he could just be, you know, just a bridge guard. And they eventually find someone better. They draft someone in the third round. Eventually, he develops to be better than Corbett. So, the Chargers, or sorry, the Chiefs are moving on from Tyron Matthew. In order to replace him, they had to sign Justin Reed. And I like this a lot for them. A $3.15 million deal. Or sorry, $31.5 million deal. Over three years, you know, he could play the role that Tyron Matthew had play, has been playing for them, and he has a lot of upside. He has a lot of physical talent. He's a younger guy. Like, he could be really, really good. He already is, I think. He's been underrated, in my opinion, for a long time. I really think Justin Reed is going to be a staple of the Chiefs' defense, and I think he's going to be a pretty instant impact player. It wouldn't surprise me if, like, it's week five, week six, and people are saying, oh, he's almost as good as Matthew, if not as good. I, I It wouldn't surprise me at all. Now, speaking of Chiefs defensive backs, Charvarius Ward is now a 49er. He got a three-year, $40.5 million deal. I'm not a fan of this. The The 49ers did need a corner. And Charvarius Ward is a young talent. And all that, I get it. And he could be better eventually. But I don't think he was worth $13.5 million per year. I don't, I don't think so. When I look at this, I'm just, I just think to myself, okay, the 49ers are desperate for a corner. So they overpaid a young player. Who, yeah, he's good, but I would say among every team's cornerback one, 
he's probably below average by a little bit. Like, he's good. Again, don't get me wrong. But as a cornerback, one, I don't love him. I don't. Especially for $13 million. Now, the good thing for the 49ers is they can they can still be a good defense without having, you know, those great cornerbacks. I mean, you look last year, their cornerbacks were not good, but they still had one of the best defenses in the entire league. And I expect that to repeat. I really do. And barring any major injuries to like Nick Bosa, their defense is going to be damn good again. But I still think their cornerbacks are going to be bad. Like they're going to be a liability. I don't think, I think Traveris Ward being on the team helps, but I'm not sure if it was worth 13 million, 13 and a half million per year. I don't. I don't think that's worth it. Now, the Broncos, they brought in DJ Jones. This is a move I really like. I think not enough people are talking about it, but DJ Jones is a really, really good defender. It's very similar to Ugunjobi, though. People don't love DJ Jones because he's. Oh, he's only a run defender. So what? If you're an interior defensive lineman, especially in a 3-4 scheme like the Broncos are, I could care less if you could rust the passer. I really couldn't. Like, would it be great if everyone was an Aaron Donald that can masterfully defend the run and also be an elite pass rusher? Wouldn't that be so cool? I'm sorry to break it to you. Not everyone's Aaron Donald. In order to find a defensive or an interior defensive lineman that could do a good job rushing the passer, you either have Warren Sapp or Aaron Donald on your team, or you don't have a very good run defender in the interior of your defensive line. I'm just going to run all over you. There's very few defensive linemen that could do both at the interior defensive line position. Very few. If you want someone that could eat up double teams to be your nose tackle, you better be able to get to the quarterback with your edge rushers. Because I'm telling you, the interior interior defensive lineman isn't going to do it. DJ Jones is another example of this, just like Larry Ugunjobi. Interior defensive lineman, job number one is defend the run. Job number two is rust the passer. You're not very good at job number two. If you're good enough at job number one, I could care less if you're bad at job number two. DJ Jones is one of those guys. He is good enough at job number one. He is good enough at stopping the run. That it doesn't matter that he can't get to the quarterback. I could care less. And he's a young player too. With DJ Jones on the team now, I really think the Broncos may have one of the best run defenses in the NFL. And what really helps them is that they brought in Randy Gregory on a four-year, $70 million deal. Amazing for them. I really think this was great for them. Randy Gregory's a superstar, and he just further solidified that last year with a great performance. I think he's worth $14 million per year. I really do. I think Randy Gregory is a superstar. He's great, spectacular. 
And I think he's really going to help them make up for now having a nose tackle that isn't very good at getting to the quarterback. Because I'm telling you, Randy Gregory is going to be able to do that. And he's also going to be good at defending the run on top of that. This run defense is going to be scary. It is going to be nearly impossible to run the ball on this defense. Just wait until they bring in some linebackers. Don't be surprised when Bobby Wagner's a Bronco. Do not be surprised by it at all. Because I'm telling you, players want to play with Russell Wilson. It is clear. If they didn't, Randy Gregory would still be a Cowboy. There's a reason that Randy Gregory was switching back and forth between, you know, still being a free agent and being a Cowboy. What was that reason? Because he knows just how good and how high the Broncos Super Bowl odds are. Because I'm telling you, with some of the additions that they made through free agency, Super Bowl contenders, they really are. Even in an incredibly tough NFL. Sorry, AFC West. Now, let's talk about another division that got a lot stronger through free agency. Specifically, another team that got a lot stronger through free agency. The AFC North with Marcus Williams going to the Ravens on a five-year, $70 million deal. Marcus Williams is good. Very young player. And he's a great coverage safety. I... I there's one thing that has been missing for the Ravens ever since they lost Earl Thomas, which a lot of people forgot that he was even on the Ravens. You know, he's a free agent right now. Let's not, let's not forget about that. Like Earl Thomas is still technically in the league, but the Ravens haven't had like a true coverage free safety for a long time. They haven't. They haven't had one. You know, they've, they've had a guy like Chuck Clark that, you know, he goes into the box. Sometimes he lines up on the defensive line. Sometimes he's a corner. Really lines up everywhere. But now with Marcus Williams, they have a guy who will consistently play up high and prevent teams from getting these huge plays down the field. You know, yeah, it's a very different defense now because Don Martindale's gone. We'll have to see what the defense looks like with the new defensive coordinator. But I still think Marcus Williams, he's going to play a big role that the Ravens haven't had in a while. Especially his athleticism, his youth. You know, this guy is going to be a staple for this defense for a while. And this defense has brought in another huge staple in Zadarius Smith on a four-year, $35 million, sorry, four-year, $35 $35 million deal. I almost said $35 million per year deal. That would have been insane. But no. Listen, Zadari Smith is not getting paid that much, which is crazy. I, I really think he took a budget cut just because he saw how good the Ravens are. They got him for cheap. They really did. And I, I think that this was the best signing of the offseason so far. And I don't remember the last time the Ravens had a superstar pass rusher. Was it Terrell Suggs? It might have been. Like, they really have not had a superstar pass rusher since Terrell Suggs. Like, I'm really thinking about it. Like, they had Matt Judon. I don't really remember who it was before that. But they haven't had, like, an amazing pass rusher in a while. Now they have one. And Darius Smith is going to light it up. 
as a Baltimore Raven. With Odafe Owe on the other side, it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really interesting to watch. And you know, that's not it for the Ravens. They also brought in Morgan Moses, who yeah, he's not overly exciting, but I'm telling you on the Ravens, he's gonna be very good. He's gonna be much better than he used to be. Because the thing with the Ravens is that they always get the most out of these big, strong, less agile offensive linemen. These strong run blockers. Because, well, Greg Roman, he really likes to run the ball. So these guys that could just move people out of the way, that's what he looks for. He doesn't look for these smaller guys that are more agile. And, you know, they're better pass blockers because they're able to get in the way of their defenders. No. Greg Roman just looks for, okay, you're good at pushing defenders out of the way. Come on in. And it works. It really just works. Now, I'm not saying everyone on the team or every offensive lineman on the team just can't pass block because, well, they throw the ball a decent amount. But their main priority is these guys that just move people out of the way in a power running scheme. Well, not a power running scheme, but they use some concepts that are more similar to like old school power running offenses along with the zone read, which is what makes it so crazy. Like as much as people shit on Greg Roman for not designing the best pass plays, doesn't really do a good job opening up the passing game. The concepts he uses in terms of running the ball are, pretty unique like they're unheard of and I think that's part of the reason what he looks for an offensive lineman is very different from other teams which is why Morgan Moses well I think for any other team it'll be a pretty bad signing to I mean they got him for dirt cheap but for most other teams like I wouldn't be talking about this signing because I think it would be pretty irrelevant but for the Ravens I think he could be like a staple on the offensive line because they're able to get use of these guys that teams that some other teams can't because the Ravens are very different in terms of how they want their offensive lineman to block. Morgan Moses is another example of this. Now let's talk about their division rival, Pittsburgh Steelers, who also got an offensive lineman, James Daniels, three-year, $26.5 million. This was a steal. The Steelers need offensive linemen. That's not a secret. And James Daniel was one of the few bright spots on an extremely weak Bears offensive line. And they got him for very, very cheap. Very cheap. So I I really like this for them. They need to build that offensive line. And this is going to be important for giving Najee Harris the running lanes that he needs. And the Jaguars got another signing, but this was probably their best one. They got Darius Williams. Three years, 30 million. Listen. There's not really much to say about this one. Darius Williams is a great cornerback. And again, I don't think, I think that he's pretty undervalued right here. Now, some people may disagree with me on that, but I think people forget about how good he was just because of how good Jalen Ramsey was. But really, Darius Williams was also really good. Darius Williams can get it done. Darius Williams can be a cornerback one in this league. I truly believe that. Now, there's two more signings I want. Sorry, three more. I almost forgot about this one. Marcus May to the Saints. Three-year, 
28.5 million. The Saints needed a replacement for Marcus Williams, who went to the Ravens. I was just talking about that. Come on, keep up. I know it's a lot of names, but come on. You got it. <laughs> uh, Marcus May is very similar to Marcus Williams in the sense that he is a very good coverage safety who can do the exact same thing Marcus Williams did. Marcus Williams, you know, his role in that Saints defense was we're going to have two high safeties. We're going to play either Tampa 2, cover 2, sometimes cover 3. But we're mainly going to have our safeties up high. Now, Marcus May, or sorry, Marcus Williams, you're always going to be up high. Just defend that deep pass. You're going to have to guard a lot of ground, but you know, you're a really quick, really agile, good coverage guy who I can rely on to do that. And he was able to do it very well. Marcus May can also do that. I truly do believe that. And that's why the Saints got him because they also believe Marcus May is capable of filling up the hole that was left by losing Marcus Williams. And they're doing it for much cheaper. And I think Marcus May is really, really good. Like, really good. And he's severely underappreciated just because he's on the Jets. This was a strong deal for them. The only thing that worries me a little bit is the ACL injury that he's coming off, which can hurt him a lot. But we'll have to see. Maybe he could come back from that. Maybe he can't. Now, the second to last thing that I want to talk about, or second to last signing I want to talk about before we go to a break, the Steelers got Miles Jack on a two-year, $16 million deal. Dirt cheap. Another, the Steelers have just made multiple deals of just, okay, we're going to get this pretty good player for very cheap. Miles Jack is another example of this. Only $8 million per year. Super underpriced. Amazing young talent. The only thing is that he's not really much of a scheme fit. We saw with the Jaguars last year, he was a 3-4 inside linebacker. It didn't really work out that well for him. We saw it also didn't work out that well for Joe Schobert, who was on the Steelers last year, conveniently. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if the Steelers just believe that the Jaguars have a very similar, similar defensive scheme that can somewhat translate well to the Steelers' defense. Maybe it is just a coincidence, or maybe that's genuinely what they believe, but I know... The transition didn't go very well for Joe Sobert, and we don't know if it's going to go well for Miles Jack either. We know Miles Jack is an incredibly talented player. The fact he got cut in the first place amazes me. And I, I think very possible that the Steelers got conveniently an absolute steal in free agency with this one. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, one that happened very recently that was a big blockbuster deal. Von Miller got a $120 million six-year contract. Von Miller, the 33-year-old, or soon-to-be 33-year-old. That is insanity. He He's great, right? He, he Even at his age, he's still a great edge rusher. But in six years, he's definitely not going to be. And I'm not even sure if he's worth $20 million at his age. The thing is, the Bills really do believe that the reason that they couldn't beat Mahomes last year 
was because, well, the Chiefs dropped 50 on them. How do they stop that? Bring in a guy like Von Miller because that's the one thing that they didn't have. They didn't have an elite pass rusher that needs to be double teamed. Now, can can Von Miller do that anymore? It's hard to tell because, again, last year he was on the same defensive line as Aaron Donald, which definitely makes you look a lot better. But we'll we'll have to see. It's really hard to tell. I know he's not worth $20 million, but they were pretty desperate for now that Jadarius Smith was gone. They just got the best guy available or, or who they believe was the best guy available. So they went ahead, paid him this contract. I don't get the six-year part, but I believe that I've heard that only the first six or sorry, only the first three years have a lot of guaranteed money. So I guess after the first three years, they could just cut him with little to no consequence, or at least that's what I've been hearing. I'm not sure if that's true. The details from the contract haven't really came out yet. They're not really clear, but if that's the case, it makes it a little bit better. I still think 20 million per year is expensive for a guy like Von Miller, but you know, they believe they could afford it. Why not try it? I just noticed, I know I said I was going to go on break after I talked about Von Miller, but I know I'm yet to talk about Chandler Jones, who there's so many names on the piece of paper that I'm reading this off. It's easy to just skim across one and just skip one. I almost skipped this Chandler Jones one, but he's a big name. I think it's only appropriate that we talk about him. And this was just the Raiders' solution to a stacked AFC West giving Chandler Jones a three-year, $51 million deal. The Raiders now have one of the best, if not the best, edge rush duo in the NFL. Say we say what you want about Chandler Jones. Oh, he only has like one good game every four weeks. Well, here's the thing. He was the number one pass rusher on his team. Now he's going to go to the Raiders, where Max Crosby's on the other side. Now, maybe Chandler Jones is still the number one, say what you want. The point is, they're going to have to give an equal amount of attention to Max Crosby that they are to Chandler Jones. So it's either going to be Chandler Jones makes it easier for Max Crosby to get to the quarterback, or Max Crosby is going to make it easier for Chandler Jones to get to the quarterback. Either way, this defensive line is going to feast on every team they play against, every quarterback, whether it's Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, they're going to be feasting. And I'm really excited to see it. This is their solution. Now, I'll see you on the other side. When we get back, we are going to talk about Brady's return from retirement. And then after that, all the Deshaun Watson landing destinations. Hope you're enjoying. And I'll see you after the short break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. And I'm going to talk about the probably least surprising return from retirement ever. For me, it was surprising. But a lot of people called it. I didn't expect it to happen. But a lot of people said he was going to come back. I should have listened. I've been saying that he wouldn't. And the reason I thought that, for whatever reason... This is why I thought to myself, you know, if Brady wanted to come back, he would have just not retired in the first place. 
That's really what I thought. I thought when he retired, he was actually done for real. He wasn't just going to come back. Like, I thought he was smart enough to understand, okay, my goodbye is my real goodbye. That wasn't the case. Now, there were some signs of this, right? In his retirement announcement, letter, note, whatever you want to call it, he didn't say anything about the Patriots. So it seemed clear to some people that it was more of him retiring from the Buccaneers than it was him retiring from football altogether. The thing is, he's going to play for the Buccaneers now, right? It's not like he's going to get traded. At least that's what I would think. I still I don't think he's getting traded. I'm sticking with that, at least. But it did seem like more of... It seemed like kind of a half-assed retirement. It did. Whether that was because he doesn't want to play for the Buccaneers anymore. Maybe he wanted to take this year off. And then next year he would come back and play for a new team. But it seemed half-assed because he didn't say anything about his time with the Patriots. So it didn't... A lot of people said, like... There has to be some reason for that, right? He has to be coming back. I thought that it was just an odd thing. I I definitely acknowledge it was odd, but I didn't know for sure that that was what it meant. I thought that if he came back, he would become a coach, in all honesty. Like, I really did. But clearly, I was wrong about that, too. And I really have no idea what caused him to retire in the first place. I don't. I have no idea. But I I know one thing. I know one thing. I believe I know why he came back. I think so. This was the first time Brady saw the offseason going on. And this was the first time in two decades that Brady has seen the offseason going out on without him in it. And he thought to himself, damn, there's going to be football being played with quarterbacks like. Baker Mayfield, or Mitch Trubisky, potentially, or Jimmy Garoppolo starting games next year. Meanwhile, I'm going to be on my couch. I think that thought went through his head. He noticed that there will be football being played without him on the field, even though he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the world. He led the league in passing yards last year. Let's not forget it. He isn't going to retire until he feels like he's at a point where he's no longer able to compete at an NFL level. And right now, he's still damn well able to compete at an NFL level. Almost better than he ever could, really. Like, that's the insane thing about it. He's 44 And you can make an argument. It would be a tough argument, but you can make an argument. He's still in his prime. And that is insanity. That sounds like unbelievable. That sounds like... No way that's true. That sounds like hyperbole. That sounds like exaggeration. There's no way. But really think about it. Like, what he's doing isn't normal for a quarterback that's outside of his prime. Yet he retired? In a way, he retired during his prime. What? Again, he's forty-four, so that that's insane. But he's 
somehow, some way, still leading the league in passing yards, still doing all these ridiculous things, still almost coming back in the divisional round with Brashad Perriman as his best receiver against the team that won the Super Bowl. It's crazy. Still getting MVP votes at 44. Like, it's unheard of what he does. And he, I really think he's afraid to watch football with players that he knows he's better than. He's afraid of an era of football where he's not playing, but the players that are on the field are worse than him at that moment. He's afraid of it. And that's crazy. But Brady is an honorable man. Now, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe he could care less about there's, oh, there's better players on the field. I could care less. Maybe he doesn't care at all. I could be completely wrong. I'm sorry that I'm not Tom Brady and I can't telepathically read his mind. That That's my bad, really. <laughs> but that's my guess at why he decided to come back. Now, Tampa should be returning to competitor status now. Even with the losses in free agency, just because Tom Brady's there. Because really, that's what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady comes to your team. Your team now has a winning culture. Good job. Your team is now capable from coming back from 28-3 to against any team. Your team is now capable of coming back from any point deficit ever, no matter how much time's on the clock. That's what Tom Brady does for you. Everything becomes possible when you know that he's the guy taking snaps. And that's a lot of confidence for your team. A lot. Now let's talk about a quarterback who is also returning from a year of not playing, but for a very different reason. Or sorry, Brady actually did play last year, but you got my point. A quarterback returning from potentially not playing this year, whatever. Deshaun Watson. And I'm just going to cut right to the point. He said four teams, or he's been interviewing four teams, not the teams interviewing him. No, he is interviewing four teams to see where he wants to go. And those four teams are the New Orleans Saints, the Cleveland Browns, Atlanta Falcons, and the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to go through the pros and cons of him going to each of these teams. Starting with the New Orleans Saints. Because, let's be honest, Deshaun Watson is going to go where he won't, where he knows he can win. Because if he didn't care about winning, he wouldn't have requested a trade from the Texans in the first place. And let's not forget that at one point, Deshaun Watson was the one with all the leverage. At one point, Deshaun Watson was the one requesting the trade. So, with the Saints, you know, the pros are, he's a good offensive line, he's Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas might still be an elite receiver. Might being the keywords. It's been two years since we've seen him play, so it's kind of hard to tell. And the cons of playing in New Orleans? The wide receivers suck. The Saints lost a great blindside tackle in Teron Armstead. And they just lost their offensive mastermind that has been making the offense look better than it is for years. And they're also a bad they're also bad at drafting. So you don't really have much to work with there. 
Also, I guess Deshaun Watson also has what should be a good defense, but it's hard to tell right now. Yeah, Dennis Allen's still there, so like that helps because he was a big reason that that defense was so good last year. But, you know, they lost some players. Some players are getting older, so difficult to tell. But, yeah, they'll probably be a good defense again, so maybe I should have added that to the pros. But really, they don't. Deshaun Watson, if he goes to New Orleans, he does not have much to work with. I don't know why he would want to go there, in all honesty. If I'm him, that's the place I want to go to the least. Now, the other team I wouldn't really want to go to if I'm Deshaun Watson, Atlanta. They have a good coach, or at least I like Arthur Smith. I'm not sure if other people do, but I like him. They have Kyle Pitts, but then they don't really have much else. They don't have a running game, bad offensive line, and a bad defense. You know, maybe they'll draft someone to help you, but I I don't think Deshaun would want to go to Atlanta either. I really don't. I think that these next two teams are the teams that he would actually want to play for. I think he would want to play for the Panthers because, you know, you got Christian McCaffrey, who went healthy. He's still amazing. He completely changes the offense. Good D. I, I think the defense is good, or at least it should be. It should. I like their scheme. Works really well. Brian Burns is a stud. Derek Brown's only improving. J.C. JC Horn, when he's back, that's going to help them a lot. And... I, I think overall just that defense. Jeremy Chin, too, very good player. And he could also – Deshaun Watson's also going to have some good receivers, right, with DJ Moore. Yeah, Robbie Anderson had down the year last year, but then they also have Terrence Marshall. Could be worse. But then I'm also not sure about two things for the Panthers, right? I'm not sure about how good their run game is going to be without – Christian McCaffrey. And then I'm also not very sure how the offensive scheme is going to be for him. Like, I I will admit, Rule could be worse. But I'm not really – I'm still not sure on what Matt Rule's, like, role on the team is. Is he, like, supposed to be an offensive guy? Or I don't really get it. It kind of confused me. Is he just, like, a guy – like, I don't know. I'm not really sure with their coach, with Matt Rule, with their offensive coordinator either. I don't really know. And I think the the one I think they really only have one con because the other two things you're just unsure of, and that is a bad offensive line, which could be fixed. They're taking steps to fix it. But number one, I think of this one, better be what happens. The Browns. Great offensive line. Good coaching. Amazing run game led by Nick Chubb, and a fantastic defense. The one con for me is bad receivers, and they're trying to fix it, adding Amari Cooper, who I think Amari Cooper is not very good anymore. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that year, last year just showed it to me like he doesn't have it anymore, man. It happens. It eventually happens, but he does not have it anymore. Maybe they bring in Allen Robinson. Like I, I really think that that's a realistic possibility. I really do. Maybe it doesn't happen, but I think it's very reasonable. But then they also have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I think could be better. I think he will take steps in the right direction. We'll have to see. Especially with Deshaun Watson throwing in the ball. Like, dude, The point is, wherever Deshaun Watson goes, that team becomes so much better. But if he goes to a team like Cleveland, like that's his only chance of being a legitimate contender this year. Like, If he goes to Cleveland, that team can win the Super Bowl. Like, It, it literally can. Problem is, they're in such a tough division. 
which really hurts them. But I think the Browns should really be the number one team. And then there's also the entire question of Baker Mayfield, right? So Deshaun Watson goes there. Where does Baker go? Colts? I think Colts are a possibility. Like that, that I could absolutely see Baker Mayfield in a Colts jersey. I really can. Anyway, I have school tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, going over an hour, I did it just so I could talk about all those free agents. But I'm not going to drag on these conversations about these quarterbacks because although it would be very interesting, and I'm excited to see where these guys land, it's nothing more than speculation, right? And again, I got school. That's priority number one, which sucks. But it's 11.10 right now. I like going to sleep, so... I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you want more content while I'm asleep, you can check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. Or, don't forget, now you can check out No Huddle on, at No Huddle NFL underscore on Twitter. Going to be posting there, too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I'll see you again next Wednesday.